Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm a feminist, but... Hello, Pleasant Grand Edinburgh Festival! I'm a feminist, but today, as I was coming into my show, there's no stage door because it's the Edinburgh Festival, and while this is a fabulous venue here, the Pleasant Grand, it's an honour to play it. It's a famous Edinburgh Festival venue. It's huge, it's great. There is no stage door uh, because it's really a gym. And... <laughs> There is no backstage loo because it's really a gym. There's nowhere to sit. People are sitting on a concrete floors backstage because it's a gym. And uh, so I have to sort of squeeze past the audience going, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And I got to the top, just to the door, and there was a man and a woman who are clearly Guilty Feminist fans going, but we thought the tickets were for today. And arguing with this usher, and the usher was going, well, no, because, you know, and so I thought, here's my chance to be a feminist hero. <laughs> I said to the usher, look, there's always someone who doesn't turn up, you know, who can't make it across Edinburgh because their other shows run late or something. I'll just walk them in and I'm sure we can find them a seat. And then the woman said, but we're here to see Ruby Wax. (laughs) And I thought, well, fuck you then. 
Seriously, they were here for Ruby fucking wax. They were arguing with this poor usher who was going, but she doesn't perform here. She's in another venue. And they were like, but we were told it was today. I said, I'm sure it is today, but I'm not Ruby Wax. I'm sorry to be so disappointing. And they were like, well, who are you? And I was like, if you don't know, you're in the wrong venue. <laughs> Hashtag feminism. <laughs> Love Ruby Wax, sisterhood. I'm a feminist, but... Even I think this outfit is too empowered. <laughs> I just saw myself in the mirror, I was like, fuck's sakes. I look like I'm auditioning for Glow, don't I? <laughs> oh my God, please be auditioning for Glow, Kiri Pratchett or McLean. I would, for I would, I'd happily smash oh. Kate Nash into the floor uh, in a sexy way, not in a weird way. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant to get the part and I thought that's not feminine. I'll do it, I'll kill her, I'll do no. it. That's not, that's not I'm a feminist Bart. that's homicide. <laughs> Those things are different. <laughs> I'm a feminist Bart. For ages, I didn't know who Lizzo was, but... Get I, out. I, I, I understand, this, is, this will obviously be my last episode from, the, from, the, from that gas. But I pretended I did because all of these badass feminist women spoke to me assuming I did. I kept thinking, oh, I must look her up, I must look her up, because of the way they were talking about her, I kept forgetting to, and then someone else had mentioned her, I think, oh, God, I still haven't looked her up. And you can't just slide your phone out from under the table and quickly <laughs> Google Lizzo and go, well, I'll be going, yeah, she's such an inspiration. But the first time it happened, someone referred to her as the Queen, and I assumed that Lizzo was a nickname for <laughs> Queen Elizabeth II. I thought the crown has done her the world of good. The world of good. Uh, I'm a feminist, but I got added into a WhatsApp group the other day with 156 other women. Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> it was called Hindu Madness, and oh. I've never felt so alone in my whole fucking life. Hindu. Well, it was one of those ones where they had multiple Hindus. Why? Every layer is more unbearable, isn't it? Um, it's because that they are like from South Wales. They went to university in Liverpool, but they now live in Leeds. So it was sort of like there was like three Hindus. It was disgusting. Oh, for one bride? For one bride. Oh, I thought you meant three Hindus had joined up or something. No, no, no. This was one bride's like... So how will she survive three Hindus, though? <laughs> she did she... all right. She's from South Wales. She can really knock back the pints. She's she must... a good lass. You'd have to start in good health, wouldn't you? I would go for a doctor's check. Um, <laughs> a full medical before I went on three of my own hen nights. I'm a feminist, but I have been quite sick this fringe. Um, it's all right, it's all right. It's just, um, I nearly said lady problems then because I thought there are men present. Um, <laughs> cis men need to know, women menstruate. So sometimes I get a high temperature and a sore throat with it. Does anyone else get that? Yeah, like a weird hormonal illness. So I've been struck down uh, with the feminist plague and, and so I've just been cancelling like my other little gigs that I was doing and sort of going home to bed. And I have been sad to miss all these feminist shows that I've been invited to in Edinburgh, which I've been invited to a lot of feminist shows, and I really have been sad. But in another way, I have also been in my hotel room watching Mad Men. And <laughs> in a way, I can recommend that more uh, than the feminist fringe, uh, because it's cheaper, less exhausting, and there's room service. Have you got another one? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a feminist, but if we go to war with Russia and they bring back conscription, you'll find me in the kitchen keeping my fucking mouth shut. <laughs> Are we ready to start the show? 
Guilty Feminists, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Frances White, with me is Kerry Pritchard McLean, and we're talking about Big! The Tom Hanks film. <laughs> it's a feminist deconstruction of the Tom Hanks film Big that only has two women in it, the mother who is written out after scene one and is just left alone to fret about her kidnapped child. <laughs> we don't care because it's fun watching him bounce around on a floor piano. Uh, the other woman, the other woman is a woman who is unconsensually sleeping with a child. Yeah. She, like, he's yeah. in an adult's body, but I mean, it's very dodgy territory. He's a vulnerable adult, I would have said, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that sounds like it you... You should have, like, a, a support worker, definitely. Someone stopping that. a child that. Yeah. who's been magicked into a grown-up's body through some very creepy uh, festival machinery. Yeah. Um, Zoltan, uh, is it? Zoltar? Zoltar, yeah. Yeah, yeah someone's like, genuinely... yeah. I think some people are frightened this is genuinely going to be the show. That was a jo- <laughs> it, was a, it was a joke, and we have now, we've now strayed into it. But I think it does bear some examination yeah. that this child, and it's because it's a West End musical at the moment, big as a what? West End musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every single movie you've ever liked is now a West End musical, um, destroyed by unnecessary songs and people who don't look like the people. And they are saying the lines slightly differently to make them their own, and that's not what we want. We don't want them no. to make them their own. We want it to be Tom Hanks as he was then dancing around on a piano, but he can't because he's 75 or something. Yeah, and it's slip probably, a hip. He probably isn't that old, but he's something. He's not what he was. And he's doing all right, to be fair. He's doing all right, yeah. to be fair. But I feel like <laughs> if a child was catapulted into the body of a septuagenarian, that would be a different sort of story, wouldn't it? I mean, it, he'd learn more. <laughs> He'd learn more. I, um, He'd appreciate his youth more. Do you think so? Do oh, you think he would yeah. come back and be like, thank God I can get up without making a noise? Yeah. That kind of thing. Well, if right now, Kiri, you or I were catapulted into the body of our own body at 75, when we came back, we'd be like, I'm so flexible, I'm so mobile, I'm so hot, and we'd yeah. just be like running around and getting our top off. Yeah. And I think, you know, the same way that if I knew at 25 what I know now... I would have had a better time. Oh, yeah. Like, when you look back at yourself and you're like... When you, you remember being obsessed as, like, a teenager, being like, I wasn't so fat. And you look at yourself and you're like, you had no idea what was coming. <laughs> no idea. I would kill to be that fat now. Also, nothing wrong with being fat. It's just another thing to be. Yeah. <laughs> I don't use it as a pejorative at all. It's like saying, like, short or whatever. And it's quite hard, isn't it? Because we've been conditioned to think that fat is a negative word. And um, So whenever I describe myself as a fat woman, I always say, women in particular, they're like, best friend reflex kicks in. And they're like, yeah, so being a fat woman, and they're like, they want to go like, you're not fat, you're beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, can yeah. be both. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've been a lot of weights. I've been through as many weights as a Hollywood star searching for an Oscar. And <laughs> I, I have been definitely sexier and more sure of myself at heavier weights and uh, much more vulnerable and unsure of myself at uh, lighter weights. But I've also felt sexy and hot at lighter weights and really terrible at bigger yeah. weights. I don't think it really correlates very much. It's much more about what's going on in your life and your head. Yeah. But we do feel like it's some kind of metric uh, for success. But I'm sure I would nail being 21 now. Really? Oh, I would smash it. 
I was terrible at being 21. I was a Jehovah's Witness. I was so dowdy. Crikey. I was dowdy. I was knocking on doors. I was virginal. I was, didn't know myself at all. It was a sad, sad time. So what I'm saying is if I could get back in a time machine and go back and be 21, or if I could suddenly... Do you know what I'd love? This is my idea. This is my fantasy idea. And maybe there's a science fiction story in this. I think, right, everyone only gets an opportunity to wake up and have 365 goes at being 10 or 21 or 39 or whatever. It doesn't matter how powerful you are, how rich you are, you get 365 goes at waking up and being 21. Wouldn't it be great if you could save 20 of them in a bank (laughs) and then just pull them out later, like when you're 42 or something, and just go, I would like to spend... 20 of my days being 21 now. Wouldn't that be awesome? No. (laughs) I think I'd hate it. Because you also have to have chit-chat with 21-year-olds. And you have to put, well, lads coming up in the, like, you know, nightclubs asking you what you got on your (laughs) A-levels. That's true. That is the only thing, isn't it? And also them, like, pummeling away at you, being like, they've not learned yet. No. (laughs) But... As my 21-year-old self, what I would do now, I think, is I would dress up in some fabulous, like, one of those sort of creations where, you know, you've got sort of like a really low back and it's obviously not wearing a bra and stuff. Oh, yeah. And your breasts are sort of all pointing to the sky. Yeah. Of their own accord. (laughs) And with no tape or anything, they're just looking upwards with hope. And, uh... (laughs) (laughs) the optimism looking at the stars um, or what's a heaven for etc I'd go and sit in a really classy bar where there's older men who are thinking oh my god they've got I don't know stuff going on divorces (laughs) yes yeah, they've just been divorced, so they're ready to roll. <laughs> or they're in the middle of a divorce. It doesn't matter. I'm only there for 10 days. <laughs> it's not my problem. And then, it's like big, but a fantasy one for women in reverse. <laughs> there is a movie in this, isn't there? Um, not a good one, but it's definitely, <laughs> definitely a saleable one. Who could play the 21-year-old me? Oh, I wish I knew people's names. Lizzo. Yeah, oh my God, that would be amazing. Queen Lizzo. People always say I look like, um, uh, what's her name? Is it Lena Headley from Game of Thrones? Is that her name? She's the one in the Game of Thrones. I don't watch Game of Thrones, but she's the one in Game of Thrones. You can tell by the way I call it the Game of Thrones. Uh, She's the one in Game of Thrones who's shagging a brother. People have said it to me, but it makes me feel sad because I think what you're saying is she's a hot version of me. What do you think? Yeah. Maybe they're just saying you look like you would bang your brother. <laughs> we should probably get on with the show, I think. Um, uh, all right, so we're talking about big. Uh, the reason we're talking about this is I just feel it's the fringe. This is a place to be big. At the fringe is three and a half weeks where you can, you're allowed to be artificially big if you're a performer. You just pretend you're big, don't you? People come up here, they've never done a show in their lives, and they're just like, yeah, I am. This is brilliant. And everyone sells themselves. Everyone dresses up in crazy costumes. You know, you're backstage and you're standing there between someone dressed as a dragon and somebody else dressed as little Bo Peep. (laughs) And both of them are just having a chat about how, you know, one of them got a four-star review, but it read like a five. It's It's a brilliant place. People on the street, literally, nowhere else in the world do people come up to you with a picture of their face and go, you'll be needing this. It's just, it's, it's actual insanity, the fringe. You literally staple compliments people have given you on websites to pictures of your own face 
And then you go up to somebody else and go, would you like to read the nice thing someone else said about me? <laughs> it's stapled to this picture of me. <laughs> and as you can see, it's a very good picture done in excellent lighting by an expert photographer because I look nothing like this now. I look sweaty, like I've walked up a hundred hills. I look disappointed. I've stapled these stars on, but I have not stapled on the two-star reviews that said I should never have come. I've just... I've, but you can see those in the tracks of my tears. <laughs> That's the fringe. But it's a place where I think in a way feminism can, you can learn something or you can learn something as a feminist here because women are often trained to apologise or to make themselves diminutive, small, literally diet to make themselves smaller, hunch over, giggle at other people's jokes. There's none of that here. It's all come and laugh at my jokes, come and see me, come and... And even as an audience member, I think, walking around, you're allowed to be louder, you're allowed to put on a silly hat. yeah. Don't, no. Yeah, it's totally, I think that about the fringe. You are not in a position to tell anyone (laughs) not to put a silly hat. Please, you're demeaning yourself in that hat. You you are literally, the (laughs) podcast listeners can't hear this, but you are literally in a sequined... Swimsuit, should we say? Sequined swimsuit. We should have said this for the I'm a Feminist, but you're in a sequined swimsuit. Yeah. Tights. Mm -hmm. Two pairs, because I've got varicose veins. Hold those boners down. (laughs) I'm a feminist butt. <laughs> and I've got some like, hologram green platforms. Yes, don't mind if I do. Absolutely. Some spectacular eyelashes, yeah. earrings. Go uh, big on that. I made my hair big because I've never done one of these before, so I was quite nervous. And that's what I do. I'm like an animal. I make my hair big when I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> would never occur to me you were nervous because you're the most natural performer I've ever seen. That's kind, but it's uh, like, just never done it before. I didn't know. Um, didn't know what the vibe was going to be. It's fine. <laughs> it's always more. We've all got lovely Guilty Feminist listeners. It always feels like a big hug coming and doing this show. Yeah, because you are the best podcast listeners slash... Is it all to say fans? That seems arrogant. But you're the best... You're the best... You're the best tribe of amazing people and feminists that I could possibly think of. Uh, so thank you so much for coming and listening and bringing somebody today if you did. We don't really have flyers at the Fringe because you tell people. That's so lovely. I know. They stick stars to my face. <laughs> right, bring their own flyers. Bring their own flyers. Bet uh, Ruby Wax has got flyers, mate. <laughs> Ruby Wax is brilliant. I love Ruby Wax. She did Secret Policeman last year for us and she was fantastic. Last year at the Fringe, I had a, a sort of in the same area. I was down at the print shop just there and last year I did a really sort of like emotionally draining show and it was like the second day in and it was the first time I've ever had that thing where I was like, I can't do it. Like, I couldn't remember the show. I was finding it too difficult to do. Um, so I was like, you can do it. And I was like, just go and buy a notebook and then everything will be all right. Um, yeah. Stationery yeah, does. Stationery yeah. does it. Yeah. So. Calms you down. It, it calms you down and it puts you, centers you. That's why they call it stationery. <laughs> <laughs> so I got this notebook and I went and I didn't have a pen. So I went in my pocket and I just had like 15p. Went in the little print shop. There was a buyer there for exactly 15p. I was like, amazing. And I just hosted the press launch in here and I was wearing always oh, something ridiculous and shining there were three girls in front of me they were having a chat they were talking about the press launch and then I came up in conversation I was literally stood behind them and they were like oh I like the girl and the shiny stuff and I was like here it comes <laughs> and then I felt really uncomfortable that I was listening into a conversation about them they were like oh she's really funny that I was just about to tap one of them on the shoulder and go this is really weird and Aggie I'm stood right behind you and then the last one went oh yeah she was really good but I've heard she's a fucking bitch I was like <gasps> oh it was awful and then I went and a uh, true story I went to the restaurant I had a dinner on my own and was crying and uh, someone someone turned around to tap me and said can you keep it down please oh 
But it was actually uh, the lovely uh, Steen Raskopoulos was doing it as a joke, as to sort of like, he'd see me and I hadn't, I hadn't seen him and I sat down, so he turned around, I just turned around covered in tears, he's like, oh God, what have I done? Oh. And then when I went to pay, the waiter was like, he's paid for your dinner for you. Oh. Good act, right? Yeah. Well, that's a lovely story of fringe compassion. Please remember, if you see a performer yeah. and they look anything less than ecstatically happy, <laughs> pay for their meal. Yeah. <laughs> Are you ready for some stand-up comedy? <laughs> then please welcome to the stage the one, the only, the incredible Kerry Pritchard McLean. It's uh, interesting to talk about big as a topic because I um, I'm quite a big lass, always sort of have been, and uh, I, I quite like it. I quite like it. Um, it's, it brings with it a load of weird baggage. Like obviously, there's unrealistic expectations um, put on women's bodies, and if you're a fat lass, there's another layer of it as well. I think I often have the unrealistic expectation put on me to be jolly. Um, <laughs> that's not really my scene, actually. It's a weird thing, a weird byproduct. Often people will say, uh, I've got big tits. That's the side effect, right? Got big knockers, that is a side effect of being a fatter girl. And uh, people talk about them, people sexualise them without your consent. That's a weird area to be in. It makes you want to be smaller. I get people saying I sort of invite it. They're like, we always wear low-cut tops. I'm like, I don't. This is just the shape of a top when you put some tits as heavy as mine in them. <laughs> <laughs> No, it is. It's like how my cousin thinks that he's like, whoa, every pub I go into is rough. And it's like, because you're fucking in it, mate. That's why. <laughs> I'd love to wear like high neck stuff, but I can't because for some reason I look and I don't know why it's this combination. But if I wear something with a high neck, I look hench and Dutch. I don't know why. <laughs> I just do. And it's a weird thing because they're just sort of always there and, you know, like they get a lot of attention. And it's a weird thing. You get taxed on it because bras cost more, proper bras, because you can't just buy any bra when you've got tits like this, right? I wish you could, but you've got to, like, go specialist, and by that I mean Marks and Spencers. Uh, yeah. I have to get a bra that basically looks like it was forged by a blacksmith under a full moon. That's what I'm dealing with. And when I've been bra shopping with my girls who've got, like, lovely, pert little tits, like, they'll just pick up a bra and it'll fit them. And they always give them names. I don't know if you know this, that bras, they give them names. My friends' bras will always be called things like Tina or Maria. They give them the names of girls that used to bully you at school. That's what they do. The girls who carried a Jane Norman bag, those bitches. <laughs> Didn't know how the word bitches would go, but you're fine with it, so all right. And I, I went into Marx's the other day, I needed a bra to go with a specific dress, right, for this wedding. Uh, so I picked up a bra, I was like, this is perfect. Uh, took, it, <laughs> took it to the till, and uh, you know, when you scan it through, the name flashed up. What was it called? Doreen. Heyo! <laughs> I feel like I'm two cup sizes away from a Keith, for fuck's sake. <laughs> It means you like inadvertently take up space. You don't realize, but it's like uh, people take it as like a sexual thing and they get attention. And, and sometimes that's the thing that these big things are the things that make you want to be small. It's strange because it's never attention from people you want. It's never like, oh, you know who loves big tits? Philosophers who do loads of voluntary work. It's never that. <laughs> it's 
three types of people that are into big tits, I found. Gay guys. <laughs> big fan, you're no use to me. <laughs> Got enough friends. <laughs> Women you don't know in nightclub toilets. <laughs> and lads, but these lads, hey! Hey! Those lads who are, let's face it, explosively homosexual underneath it all. But girls in nightclubs especially. I had a girl come up to me in a nightclub, in a nightclub toilet, and she goes, uh, can I just touch them? <laughs> I said, I feel a bit weird about it, mate. And she went, oh, I just want to put my finger down the gap in the middle. <laughs> I was like, well, firstly, babe, there's no gap. <laughs> and secondly, it's really sweaty. <laughs> and she went, I still want to do it. I was like, fine, if that's what you want. And I was like, what the fuck is she, was she trying to get a ring loose? What's she up to? <laughs> they're always there. Like, they're always there, and they're always, you don't realise that they're always the thing that people look at. Yesterday, in fact, someone went, I'm really sorry I keep looking at your tits. It's like a magic eye. <laughs> I was like, a dolphin's not going to pop out. What are you expecting? <laughs> and it is, it's a strange, they're always there just in front of you, which means that for me as well, like things fall down all the time, right? I'm a messy eater. <laughs> I don't know what's going to fall out at the end of the day when I take my bra off. No idea. This is essentially a meaty bib. That's what it is. <laughs> and that is my drag name, you're right, yeah. And by the way, that's the only good thing about having big boobs, is the bigger the boobs, the better the feeling at the end of the day when you take your bra off. <gasps> if there's any heterosexual couples here and the lads are like, I'm not sure if I'm doing it for my girl in the bedroom, listen to the noise she makes as she takes her bra off at the end of the day. If it's anywhere near the same area, you're fucking smashing it, lad, don't you worry. <laughs> Honestly, I've got no idea what's going to fall out. Like, I've taken off my bra before, and at the end of the day, a whole bourbon has fallen out. <laughs> I've not even had biscuits that day. Where the fuck's that come from? I don't know what to expect. Fucking Michael Barrymore's career, Nazi gold. I don't know what's under there. And the thing is, that, like I say, the people who do appreciate them, it's never worth it. The people who are like, hey, hey, those lads, right? On the odd occasion, I've had to take one of these gentlemen home because that's all that's left. <laughs> it never pays off. Because, like, you know, the, uh, the ultra-masculine thing of, like, they never think, like, how can I please a woman's body? They're like, how can I fuck her that would impress my mates? <laughs> like, you can tell that they're imagining their friends in the room, like, you're a BMX, and they're like, spin her by the handles. Like, it's... just a weird thing it's a weird thing so like you know you take them back and the same thing always happens right you take your top off they see you and you bra hey and i told you to be quiet it's sexier <laughs> and then you take your bra off and you see the color drain from their face and you can hear them thinking they're longer than i thought But because of toxic masculinity, they can't back down with that shit. So you can see them psyching themselves up like, like it's a penalty shootout. Like, come on, shouldn't have jumped, should I? And they're just sort of wandering around it, eyeing it up like it's flat pack furniture and they're not sure where to start. And then they all use a technique, they use the same technique that I like to call the snow globe, which is where they grab it, 
thinking, it's wider than I thought as well. <laughs> they grab it and then they just shake it like that. <laughs> like it's a piggy bank and there's still a pound inside. <laughs> that has never done anything for anyone, has it? There's no woman out there who's like, you know what I love? The feeling of having one tit on a dodgem. That's what I love. <laughs> That's it, thanks. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, Guilty Feminists, and happy holidays to you all. I just need to tell you that I am coming to the United States of America to do The Guilty Feminist live in a series of locations. On the 2nd of January, we're in Boston. Then we're in New York on the 4th and 5th of January, Philadelphia, Chicago, Toronto, Vancouver, San Francisco, Seattle, and LA. That's right, we're coming to Canada too. We've got some great co-hosts confirmed, including Beth Stalling, Jenna Friedman, and Jenny Slate. For all dates and to book, go to guiltyfeminist.com. Do it now. The Australian and New Zealand tour starts on the 7th of February in Sydney, then Brisbane, the Gold Coast, Melbourne, Christchurch, Wellington and Auckland. For all dates and to book, go to guiltyfeminist.com. On Saturday, the 7th of March, we will be recording our 200th episode at the Royal Festival Hall as the headline show of the 10th Women of the World Festival. And this is too exciting. Go to southbankcentre.co.uk for tickets. It's going to be a big one. The UK Guilty Feminist Tour starts off on the 1st of May with a huge spectacular at the Eventum Apollo. Then we're off to Brighton, Ipswich, Hull, Guildford, Nottingham, Salford, York, Norwich, Halifax, High Wycombe, Woking, Richmond, Aylesbury, Crawley, Watford, Southend, Coventry, Oxford, Glasgow, Plymouth, Birmingham, Bournemouth, Sheffield, Cardiff and Newcastle. The UK tour show, unlike the Australian, New Zealand, American and Canada shows, will not be recorded. They will be live only. So get tickets now. Go to guiltyfeminist.com. Don't forget to choose love this Christmas. Buy something for a refugee. It could save their life. People are very cold and they can really die of exposure. So go to choose.love if you can possibly afford it, even if you can afford three quid and buy something now. 
And also, don't forget about Crisis and Shelter and other people who need your help. Please, everybody, have a very guilty Christmas and a feminist 2020. Back to the podcast. I am going to, I thought I'd put some fodder into the episode by doing some research. Oh, hello. It's a new thing I'm doing. I just want to throw two women onto the table. Like you're auditioning for Glow. Yeah. <laughs> throw two women on the table that you might not have heard about that went big. And this is in honour of the Edinburgh Festival. Because both of these women were actors or performers turned suffragette. And I believe one of them is me and one of them is you. Okay. <laughs> the first one, this is me, is Muriel Matters. What a fucking great name already. An amazing name, Muriel Matters. And Muriel does matter. So Muriel Matters was born in Australia. And in fact, she was born and raised in Adelaide. And in Adelaide, uh, you could vote in the late 1800s. Women could vote in the late 1800s. I mean, you couldn't because you weren't born. But, <laughs> but women could. So when she came over to the UK she was really horrified that women couldn't vote. So she became a massive suffragette. And she brought her show business skills because, of course, you know, a lot of suffragette staff was serious and in some cases uh, violent. I mean, they did try for decades being not violent. That didn't work. So did she look at it all and go, what this needs is a musical theatre number? Yes, basically. She thought, if I can borrow Kerry pritchard McLean's sequin jumpsuit slash swimsuit, it's <laughs> going to be all fine. Uh, so what she did... Uh, is she went into the House of Commons where there was a women's gallery so the women could watch. I mean, obviously, they couldn't participate, speak, vote, or have anything to do with it, but I suppose they were just there to fan themselves and, and look. Yeah, laugh at the men's jokes. <laughs> exactly. So what she did uh, is with another suffragette called Helen Fox, they chained themselves to the grill of the ladies' gallery. Then they started shouting out about suffrage. And of course, when they came to remove them, they couldn't because they were tied on. So they called a blacksmith uh, to <laughs> detach the women from the ironwork. At the same time, someone called Violet Tillard lowered a proclamation to the politicians below using pieces of string as part of the show. And a man from the Strangers Gallery uh, threw handbills onto the floor of the Parliament because he was an ally, hashtag not all men. And, and this is at sea venues, you say? Yes. Yeah. She was imprisoned for this uh, in Holloway Jail and was sentenced to one month. But then when she came out, she thought, let's go bigger, even bigger. <laughs> so do you know what she did? She hired a dirigible. A dirigible, if you don't know, is like a hot air balloon or a blimp. And she said, right, we're going to take it over the House of Commons. It's going to have votes for women written on the side. And then we're going to throw pamphlets out onto the House of Commons. So it'll suddenly be raining pamphlets about votes for women onto the men walking into the House of Commons below. Brilliant idea. I think we can all agree. However, due to the wind not being in her favour and being on the side of the patriarchy, <laughs> it ended up sweeping over Wormwood Scrubs prison for men and they got all the leaflets and they were like, all right, mate, but we can't vote either. We're in prison. Um, but her balloon tactic made headlines all around the world. 
not for all the right reasons, but at the same time, it did help the cause because it got so much publicity. And then she would go back to Australia and do lecture tours. And one of the things she was lecturing about that we've got to help Britain get the vote, which is a bit embarrassing that Australians were trying to help Britain <laughs> get the vote. Uh, but there it is. So she used her, all of her show business flair. And to the end of her life, she started working with the Labour Party. When women had the vote, she started working with the Labour Party. And she was a social activist all the way to the end of her life. And do you know when she died? She was born in the, um, the late 1800s. She didn't die till 1969. What? Yeah, which I think is a saucy year to have died. <laughs> um, yeah, she was really super old. Now, the one I think you are, I think that's me, because I was born in Australia, and I was... And def- you're going to live forever. Yeah, and Susie would come when I jumped out of a plane. That's very similar to doing a dirigible. Oh, God. Okay, so the one that I think you are is, are you secretly German? Does Welsh count? No, but you said before that you look Dutch sometimes. Yeah, I'll take that. Right, okay. There's a woman called Katerina Maria Schaefer uh, who arrived in London at the age of 15. This bit, I'm not quoting to anybody, but she had to run away because her mother died when she was an infant and her father was absolutely horrible. And so uh, she ran away. So she was basically a refugee and she moved uh, to East London because she had an aunt and uncle here. She quickly learned English and then immediately went to the music hall. Yes, please. Um, and she changed her name uh, to Kitty Marion, which is a little bit like Kiri. Yeah, I'll That's take that, yeah. Uh, she was mesmerised by the world. She had a very diverse group of friends, including the son of a Chinese diplomat who gave her her first cigarette. That's a very specific piece of information, isn't it? Weirdly, that is the only thing that's exactly like me. <laughs> so she met all these amazingly sexually liberated women, but she didn't actually have a women's rights activism part to her portfolio until she had uh, what some scholars have called a Me Too moment. She was assaulted by a music hall agent whom she referred to only as Mr. Dreck, which is German for Mr. Trash. Nice. Yeah. And so it was at that point that she joined the WSPU, uh, the Women's Social and Political Movement, and she went to jail loads of times, and she learned, this was her theatricality that she brought to it, she made the most spectacular bombs. Really? Yeah, yeah, really good bombs. And she made them with, she only bought things from hardware shops, she didn't get anything illegal, she would go to a hardware shop and she taught herself how to make a bomb, and there were no YouTube videos then. Wow. She was the YouTube video Just did it all herself? Household made bombs. Homemade bombs. So she did it all at home herself? Yeah. Like a terrorist Kirsty Alsop? Just... That's exactly who she was. Wow. She was the German terrorist Kirsty Olsson. <laughs> yeah. Her um, greatest legacy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And had there been YouTube, I mean, you could imagine the videos she'd made. She made sort of basically sequined bombs. So I think she is you. She didn't kill anyone with the bombs. The suffragettes didn't Fun kill... Fun bombs. Relax, like a bath bomb. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't kill anyone with the bombs. They did bombs to disturb things and to disrupt. They weren't killer bombs, but they were... Uh, I mean, it did work. Um, it didn't work immediately. It worked because uh, the First World War came and then everyone went, shall we just hold off on the bombs until after First World War because probably enough bombs? <laughs> and uh, Emily Pankhurst went, we won't have a country to vote in unless we help with the First World War effort. So they didn't call it the First World War then because they didn't know there was going to be a second one. <laughs> and uh, then after the First World War, they said, all right, women can vote because they didn't want the terrorism to start up again. They didn't want to be seen to be giving in to terrorists. But after the First World War, they went... Why don't we say it was for your efforts to the war? But really, they were like, we don't know how to control this. So it was stuff like dirigibles and bombs and chaining themselves to the grills that did do it. So these women were big. 
Yeah. They were successful. Yeah. Yeah. They were theatrical. Yeah. They changed the world. They made themselves bigger. And some of them were fat. Some of them were fat. Yeah, I've seen pictures. I've seen pictures. (laughs) Yeah. I saw a picture um, of this amazing looking woman who was a fat suffragette, but she lost two stone because of hunger strikes. Really? And I was like, I felt sad about it. Yeah. I thought, I hope she put the weight back on. Yeah. She looked formidable. That's the thing about diets. It just goes upon again, doesn't it? I mean, that's... (laughs) (laughs) I think it's time to bring on our guests. Our guests today are two wonderful theatre makers at this year's Edinburgh Fringe. Fatty Fat Fat is a provocative solo show about living in a body the world tells you to hate. Pink Lemonade explores masculinity, fetishism, sexuality and gender identity unapologetically. Please welcome their creators to the stage, Katie Greenall and Micah Johnson! Micah, hello. Hi. Are you having good fringe? Yes. Yeah, it's going well. Yeah. Excellent. Katie, hello. Hello. Are you having fun at the fringe? Yeah, I've just sprinted straight off stage, so I'm feeling a bit sweaty, and, but I'm pleased to be here. This is great. Yeah. Lovely. Okay. So, Micah, can you tell us a little bit about what the fringe is like for you in terms of being big? Is this a place where you feel you can be big? I feel like, yes, it, it is a place that I can be big, but also it's quite overwhelming to be black and to be trans in a predominantly white cis city. But, um, Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's a good opportunity for me and for the show to have a platform. And honestly, I just want as many audience members to come and see the show as possible, because I think it's an important piece of work and I think people can take stuff away from that. And you do performance poetry? Yeah, the show um, has elements of poetry and like movement and then it's underscored with like beats and then there's like a monologue through the show so it's like a play with like all these different elements to it. God, that sounds brilliant, absolutely brilliant. What's it like if you go flyering here, I saw actually a piece written by a person of colour one year saying it's really hard to flyer. And I saw somebody else who was white saying, no, it isn't. Um, <laughs> and saying, no, because it's an international festival and everyone will be delighted with you being black. And <laughs> the black person said, that's not my experience. And it also mm. can be quite intimidating because the fringe is so crowded, I think. Yeah. So this is a massive swelling crowd that is so predominantly white. Yeah. And uh, a friend of mine who's a black actress, she went to RADA, she sort of, you know, very used to being in a very theatrical white environment. But she said at the fringe, she finds it quite intimidating. She said, I get my latte and I go and stand in the queue for the play <laughs> and think, I can be here, I'm allowed to be here. And I'm like, that so surprised me when I heard that, but actually it makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's quite a bit scary. Yeah, it's overwhelming. I think it's difficult to kind of just, you know, approach people in the street. You don't know whether they're going to like, if your show's going to be their vibe, if they're going to be into it, what they're going to say to you, like the questions that are going to come out of their mouth. So yeah, it can be quite an intimidating situation. The best strategy that I've found now is like trying to find 
all the queer shows, all the trans shows, all the shows made by black and people of color um, to exit flyer. Because I feel like if people are in them shows, then they're supporting them shows. Yeah. And so it's more than likely that they'll come and see Pink Lemonade. It kind of takes the edge off my anxiety a little bit <laughs> when it comes to flyering. Have you had anyone saying anything that you found uh, unsettling? The first man I gave a fly to said, um, why do you call your hair off? Like in my poster with my face on with all the clips of the stars and the <laughs> comments. Um, he said, yeah, why do you call your hair off? And then it's like you're having to go into this part of yourself. It's just like, here's my flyer. This is my show. Like you don't want to kind of go into all this personal details about your own about, self. About being trans. So then yeah, you have yeah. to explain transness to someone who might not exactly. understand it, which yeah. might feel very personal to do on the street. Yeah, actually what I will say is if you kind of want to know about that, then come and see the show. Yeah, buy a yeah. ticket, motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and why is it called pink lemonade initially the title came from um me because i'm exploring masculinity in the show and i really like the color pink and for so long pink kind of felt like it was a very feminine color to me so that's the reason it's called pink and the reason it's called lemonade is because um in nottingham where i'm from people used to call lesbians lemons Ah. <laughs> so that's where the two titles came from and I put them together and Pink Lemonade you've made much like Beyonce you've made Lemonade <laughs> yeah I mean I can't really compare myself to Beyonce anymore. <laughs> no that's for me to do <laughs> I have the same birthday as basically, Beyonce basically if you oh miss God. Micah's show you've missed the non-binary Beyonce is what I've is what I've learnt and Katie can you tell us about Fatty Fat Fat uh, so I have a show yeah Fatty Fat Fat which is my uh, solo show about living in a fat body and how to navigate the world as a fat person, uh, how to take up space in a world that doesn't want to make any room. And so, yeah, it's built around some anecdotes from my life where my relationship with my body has changed because of other people's interactions with it. So things that maybe happened when I was younger with, like, my mother and other people in my family or people in public space kind of intersected with bits of spoken word about where I'm at right now in my uh, journey with my body and my fat acceptance and also some games, including a game where I put Skittles in my chins and count how many I can hold. And, um, What's your PB, mate? Uh, my PB is it's, uh, 27. Woo! Yeah. And as uh, you were doing your piece about things in your bra, Kiri, I found a Skittle in my bra <laughs> that's melted to my left tit. Oh. That's going to so, be a lovely pick-me-up when yeah. you take it up tonight. A little snack, yeah. Yeah. Um, can you tell us any of the stories? Is there an example of a story that you could tell us about other people's relationship with your body and how that changes your relationship with your body or the world? Yeah, the show starts with me doing the cha-cha slide for a long time, which is a forgotten banger of the past. Mate, working class weddings haven't forgotten. <laughs> what, what is it? The cha-cha slide. What's that? Get no. <laughs> can, you, can you show me? Um, you might have to narrate, Kiri. Uh, Can you do it? Okay. okay. Oh, God. You, like, I'll try and do both at the same yeah. time. Okay. Uh, so it goes, I've had a lot recently. <laughs> this is something new, the Casper Slide Part 2, featuring the Platinum Band, <laughs> Alista, and we're going to get funky. Yeah. <laughs> and then everyone claps your hands and basically <laughs> prescribes. Yeah. Yeah. Slide to the left. Slide to the right. Crisscross. 
crisscross, cha-cha now, now. Yeah, and it goes on like that. Da, 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 da. It's, then, like, um, it's like a, a modern Macarena. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm loving that. It was great, man. Loving that. Um, so when people come in, they should expect you to be doing that as they walk in. <laughs> yes, I'm doing that in a very small room in the Pleasance Courtyard. <laughs> uh, and it's very sweaty, um, so I'm already exhausted by the time the audience have even got sat down. And then we brainstormed some great party tunes. Um, so far, everyone has said um, Saturday Night, which is bizarre. So maybe that's uh. an Edinburgh favourite. And then I tell a story about how I was obsessed with the Cha Cha Slide. And when I was nine, my mum bought me this CD and I was so excited. And she said, here you go. Um, you can put it in your Walkman and use it as an exercise tape. So how, so yeah, that sort of, it's <laughs> so a lot of stories like that, um, where you think it's going one way and then it sort of has that little twitch. So the Cha Cha Slide, yeah, will always be thought of like, it's a part Davina McCall workout for me. Yeah. Are you an act? Do you consider yourself an, an actor? Is that how you? I generally say performer. Yeah. Just because I don't really play anyone other than myself. Sure. <laughs> um, I feel similarly. Yeah. Who's better? <laughs> Why am I going to pretend to be someone else? This is the role of a lifetime, literally. <laughs> exactly. It's fundamentally an unfeminist act to pretend to be someone less good than me. That's what I do. Was because I find like in particular actors, but performers as well. There is like a body type that's expected. And if you don't fit into it, you immediately become a political act. Do you find that? Totally. And I think one of the reasons why I started making the show is when I left drama school, I was not thin enough to be the, like, the girl next door or the average Joe, but I was too thin to be like the fat one because I'm not fat enough to like, go on some show about losing loads of weight and being the new like, high school sweetheart. And there were just all these parts coming through that like, on seeing advertised that I could never go for because I don't fit any of them and so I've never really seen um, fat stories told on stage as much as I would love to there are some artists doing some amazing things and comedians and people taking up space all over the shop but it felt really important to sort of do my bit to take up that space yeah it's really interesting isn't it because with fat just like so many other things that in a casting it has to be specified yeah like it has to be like we're looking for a fat performer yeah. they would not put you forward for like a normal role mm. because we're like oh no she's not fat like i didn't imagine a fat mm. like well you got shit imagination then <laughs> yeah i've heard people using straight sized now to yeah. suggest uh so as to distinguish um, if you need someone straight size, say straight size. If you need someone fat, say someone fat. If you don't need either, don't comment and let anybody go mm. up for it. I think like theatre is supposed to represent, is supposed to you know hold a mirror up to society, and like there are a lot of fat people in the world, um, <laughs> and I'm one of them. And I felt like I wanted to see people like me on stage. Yeah, the mirror it holds up to society is very rarely the mirror in the Marks and Spencers changing room yeah. when I go <laughs> swimwear. Uh, it's, it's, you look at, you go, what is this? Why is this mirror here? This looks... That's no. not the mirror I have issue with. <laughs> the mirror I have issue is, is where you're in H&M and they put another fucking secret mirror oh, in there. behind you. Your little sidebar of shame that they sneak in there. Yeah. yeah. And it's then you no don't need. see it until you see the reflection. Like, what's my dad doing in here in my bra and my jeans? <laughs> <laughs> Do you find audiences like... Because when I used to do stand-up, it's like... I don't see it as like self-deprecating. It's like funny stories mm. about being fatter. Sometimes you get people like, oh, and I'm like, oh, no, it's not to feel sorry for me because it's not a thing I feel like I should... Do you, are audiences like being like, great? Or are they like, no? It's a mix. It's a mix. Often other people who live in fat bodies often are like, whoa, I can feel that and I'm feeling... I'm living it with you or I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling... It's weird to see that reflected on stage. I thought that was just something that I felt. And then there are other people 
who just laugh the whole way through and don't really think of the like implication of that laughter. I play a lot with audience laughter in the show, but when you're laughing at me and when you're laughing with me, because I think that's a big thing that people in fat bodies have to navigate in the world as being that like fat, funny friend um, persona. And when I'm like lean into that a little bit more and when I don't, and it's also bizarre, like talking about the flyering thing, like, you know, I give someone a flyer for fatty fat fat and people are like, do you think I'm fat? <laughs> it's like... No, I just like you to come and see my show, please. <laughs> oh, you have a title that is yeah. yeah. If you go up to someone and go fatty fat fat, they can go. Excuse me, and yeah. you have to go. No, because it's just that's... a big coat, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and people think it's my name. People say, "And welcome, fatty fat fat." <laughs> what? And I'm like, Trick- that's, that's quite triggering, actually. <laughs> wow. So do you have anything, Micah, that you feel is sort of something positive, either advice for allies and or advice for people who may feel like you, may come to any space like this? There are lots and lots of spaces that are dominated by one uh, homogenised group. Do you have any advice for feeling more powerful and feeling more feminist or for allies to create a safer, warmer, more diverse space? I just think awareness is really important and I think whilst you're here at the fringe even though some of these shows may not be something that you would normally go to I honestly feel like you can honestly learn so much from a lot of artists that are here that are taking their everyday lives and like putting that on stage to kind of they're just on stage like speaking their truth and they just want people to leave the theatre and maybe think about how they are in society how you operate the things you say the things you think and you coming to see a show like mine or like Katie's could mean that you leave and have a conversation with somebody else about what you've just watched and then you have this dialogue about how things need to shift and change and how your thoughts can change. That's what I, I think. Wonderful. Great. Um, and Katie Greenall, the same. Anything empowering for people of size who may feel like the world's telling them to shrink or anything for allies? A big thing is, as someone that has had an, got any experience of the fat narrative, came and watched the show and said to me, I've never realised a fat body could do that. I've never realised a fat body could be on a stage and move around and tell stories and entertain in a way that I hope I do in the show. Because you're fed this narrative that fat people are lazy and disgusting and unhealthy and don't deserve to exist and should be changed. And so what I hope the show does is show that fat bodies can do anything they want and it's up to them to decide what they can and can't do and they're worthy of whatever they choose to be. our show today with a big number. She's a guilty feminist favourite. Put your hands together for the incredible Grace Petrie! Hello. Hello, guilty feminists. How are you doing? It's lovely to be here. My name is Grace Petrie. I am a protest singer. Thank you very much, just me and those three people. <laughs> to the barricades, friends! No, what that means is that since the government changed in 2010, I've been going around the UK trying to persuade people with the aid of my songs to make voting decisions that make the world a better place. That's what I've been trying to do. Thank you very much. Yes. Do you know what? And I think, I think, we, can, I think we can all agree, can't we, that I've been fucking unsuccessful so far. <laughs> Goodness me. 
I, th I, th <laughs> I think if anything, I'm making things worse, to be honest. <laughs> Things are just going from bad to worse. Um, but uh, I was trying to think if I had a song around the theme of big, and I think the only thing that I've got is really the song that I do every time I come on this podcast. But uh, I always, it always seems to kind of fit in with the theme. So I guess as like a, as a, a butch lesbian, as a masculine woman, uh, I've always kind of felt a little bit like the thing that the world was encouraging me to shrink was my butchness, right? My butchness has always been very innate to me. When I was a kid, I was very masculine as well. I was a very masculine girl. And uh, obviously that hasn't sort of uh, changed much as I've grown up, but uh, I sort of was very insecure about the way I looked for years and years and years because obviously of the messages that I was getting from society kind of telling me that I shouldn't be that way. And I was like that for years and years and years. And then something happened to me which changed my life, which is that I turned 30 and I stopped giving a fuck about anything immediately. Um, yeah, so I wrote a song about it. And it's called Black Tie, which is why I'm dressed like this. Some of you might have thought I was on my way to a snooker match, but... Uh... So this song contains the rhyme that I'm most proud of in my entire career, um, which is a rhyme that goes, The images that fucked you were a patriarchal structure. Yes, Edinburgh! Yeah, I had a biscuit when I wrote that, I'll tell you. And what I like doing is I like doing that as a sing-along. So I'm going to sing in the images that fucked you, and you're going to reply... We're a patriarchal structure. Are you with me? Oh, that was about 52%, I think, wasn't it? It's called Black Tiger, as this. Well, it's a jungle out there. The year 2019, I didn't think. We'd still be sorting babies into blue and pink And all our progress Yeah, I wonder what it means That the only girls' clothes that work for me Turn out to be boy for M jeans Well, that's fine Cause I decline And narrow set of rules that just don't work And these red lines They're not mine If you need me, you can find me my shirt cause I'm in black tie tonight Get a postcard to my year 11 self In her year 11 hell Saying everything's gonna be alright No you won't grow out of it You will find the clothes that fit And the images that fucked you Were a patriarchal structure And you never will surrender To a narrow view of and I swear there'll come a day when you won't worry what they say On the labels, on the doors, you will figure out what's yours And it's a bloody nightmare Trying to fight the spread of bigotry and fear Let's uniting Piers Morgan and Jermaine Greer And all our progress, yeah I wonder who it's for When I dare to other trans lives matter And all I got was a turf war, well that's fine Cause I decline Your narrow set of rules that just don't work And these red lines, they're not mine If you need me you can find me Cause I'm in black tie tonight Get a postcard to my year 11 self In her year 11 hell Saying 
everything's gonna be alright No, you won't grow out of it You will find the clothes that fit And the images that watch you We're a patriarchal structure And you never will surrender To a narrow view of gender And I swear there'll come a day When you won't worry what they say On the labels, on the doors You will figure out what's yours figure out what's yours and that it's got nothing to do with fitting neatly in a box that was constructed to make it seem like people come in just two teams and anything that's in between ain't good enough and you will love and you'll be loved and you're in black tie tonight Get a postcard tonight Year 11 self In her year 11 hell Darling, everything's gonna be alright No, you won't grow out of it You will find the clothes that fit And the images that fucked you We're a patriarchal structure And you never will surrender to that narrow view of gender and there's folks you've yet to meet but you're exactly up their street and they've been waiting just as long to hear someone sing this song better days are on their way when it won't matter what they say on the labels on the doors you will figure out what's yours and girl you're gonna be so happy you're gonna be just fine Girl, you're gonna be so happy Down the line, down the line Thanks for seeing that, i been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host, Kiri Pritchard-McLean, and our very special guests, Katie Greenall, Micah Johnson, and Grace Petrie. The recording engineer was Graham Steele. The music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinski for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Luke and Amy at Phil McIntyre and everyone at The Pleasance, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. What is that her name? Lainey Heary. Heady. Heady. I'm so sorry. I, it, that is my fault. I'm in Scotland. I should. It's complete. Yes, it's no, I know. Scottish. I know. That's why I'm. You're not Scottish. What? Sounds <laughs> <laughs> super Scottish. You've caught the accent. Uh, yeah. Please don't do a hate crime, Deborah, please. <laughs> it's not that okay. guilty. Lena Headey, she's the one in the game of I don't watch Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.